Welcome back, folks, everybody, all of you, beautiful people listening to this podcast, to another episode of Pass the Brew. I'm your host, Mark Cunningham. And on the episode today, we have Steve Enzinerman from The Coffee Enthusiast down in North Carolina. Steven is, owns his own coffee roastery and is a fantastic guy. Pumped for this conversation. Um, Steven and I are going to talk about sports. He's a big baseball guy. Uh, we're going to talk a little football. And we're going to talk a little rugby, which is cool. And then we're going to talk coffee because that's, uh, that's what him and I know. So we're going to talk coffee. Uh, we're going to talk his journey in coffee and the things that he's come up against, the things he loves about the industry, the things he'd like to see change. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. It's a great episode. Super thankful that he agreed to come on. Pumped to have him as a new friend. And I very much hope that you all enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, here we go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pass the Brew. I am so excited today to bring on Steven from The Coffee Enthusiast. I've been following his coffee journey now for a little while, watching his live videos, and I was pretty much immediately like, oh, I got to get I gotta get Steven on the podcast. So, Steven, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Man, thank you, man. It's, a, it's an honor to, to be on, man. Yeah, no, super excited to have you. So, uh, we talked a little bit offline just before we started recording, and thankfully, Steven is yep. a sports guy. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into the coffee side of things. But even before we do that, Stephen, what are you uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinking. Um, this is an Ethiopia fully washed uh, Beloya. Um, it is dope. <laughs> Bridge City <laughs> Coffee Roasters. Um, my guy uh, Brandon uh, Brandon Nelson, he's the head roaster over there. Sent me this. Over the weekend, plus a cool little uh, Bridge City Coffee Roasters button. So I was, I was excited. to get, I like buttons and stickers. Yeah. So I was hyped to get this coffee, and I was hyped to get some swag from the shop, man. It was dope. I feel like everybody in coffee, in one way or another, loves, like, enamel pins, buttons, and stickers. <laughs> like, my yeah. laptop is covered in coffee yes. stickers. <laughs> yes, I have coffee stickers probably from coast to coast all over my laptop and I don't have any more room. I'm just going to start putting them on top of each other. Yeah. Eventually you're like, well, you kind of want to choose the really cool ones first, but then you're like, I just want to put them all on. My like yep. water bottles covered in them. My laptop, my yep. old laptop is covered in them. I like, just, <laughs> yep, I got them all over my, uh, all over my grinder, all over my espresso machine, like just any place, my AeroPress, I got stickers all over. Yeah. I guess the yeah, so. stickers on the AeroPress as well. Yeah, man. That's sick. Well, uh, Steven, why don't you uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Like where, where are you at right now? Like what, um, what kind of things you like to do outside of coffee? Yeah. Just give our listeners a little, little vibe of who Steven is. Man, I am, I'm in North Carolina. I live in North Carolina right now. Um, right. Uh, on the North side or we call it North Fayetteville, North Carolina, right off of uh highway 295. Um, so we're about 30, maybe 40 minutes outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, the capital. And um, yeah, man, um, originally from Georgia, I'm from Augusta, a little small town um, in Georgia, a little about, I think, I guess about two hours outside of Atlanta. 
Mm. Um, that's where I grew up mostly, but I was actually born in Beaufort, South Carolina. So we traveled a lot coming up. I lived in Kentucky. My dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, my mom was in the medical field. So, you know, we upped and, and uprooted a lot and traveled a lot and bounced around a whole lot, man, as kids. So I'm, I'm from everywhere, but I'm from, I'm definitely from the South, <laughs> the Southeast United States, but, um, uh, college grad married outside of, you know, coffee is, is sports, man. Coffee, sports, my wife, my children, um, science. I love science. I'm an environmental science guy. Mm. Um, actually in graduate school now, getting my master's in environmental policy and, uh, management, and that's you know history is another music history um just kind of a all around i try to be all around kind of kind of dude man try to be well well rounded yeah that's sick uh the environmental science um piece is really cool what uh what made you want to get into that aside from the fact that potentially the world needs pretty much everybody to be into that right yes that <laughs> that's true um I, like I said, man, I grew up in the Southeast, so I'm a country boy. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up just kind of just like meandering around my grandparents' house. You know, they lived out in the in the countryside, this little city, a uh, little town uh, called Hepsiburg, Georgia. And um, it's just nothing but woods all around. And my grandfather, um, he kind of indirectly and directly made me appreciate nature what it could do for you what it gave you and what you can give back to it um my grandfather had been composting uh ever since i could remember he's been collecting rain in 55 gallon barrels hmm. for the longest him and my grandmother they had one two i want to say four around their home um on each corner of the house basically um, they had 55-gallon barrels collecting rainwater, and they'd done that ever since I was a, a kid. So I grew up around stuff like that. And, um, yeah, man, that's, that just made me – being at my grandparents' house made me appreciate nature, made me appreciate the world and what you could do. Um, it's weird. He built his house on a, what was an old junkyard. It was an old dump, the city dump. Mm. So what he did basically was remediate the land and built his house um he kept farm animals and planted all kinds of you know vines he had a, a muscadine vine back there he would make you know wine and you know or we would just go back there and eat them so it was just really cool man to just grow up around that so i think my grandfather had and my grandmother they both had a lot to do with that and they were very big advocates of education so I was like well shoot I can go to college and I can study environmental science and I can still just roam around yeah. in the woods <laughs> you know as, a, <laughs> as an adult and get paid for it so that's my grandparents are, are huge influences that's awesome that. that's yeah. really cool yeah um I I grew up kind of not not really like in the country but outside of like didn't live in the city, didn't live in the suburbs. Um, mm -hmm. like my parents grew up, I, the road that my parents' house is on is called Field Road. And it's just surrounded by cornfields um, wow. in every direction. Uh, and then where I live currently is like in the north of Canada or northern, okay. more north of Canada. Um, so like 
I mean, currently, like I'm looking at the window at a lake and forest. Like that's that's wow. all there is for miles. I want to be there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's not the worst place to be stuck. That's for sure. Oh man. Um, and okay, so let's. Uh, that's really cool. Thanks for giving us a little uh, little background, and let's let's talk some sports yeah. before we get into coffee. So, uh, baseball it. fan, first and foremost. I am. I am. Uh, so, who's your team? Uh, how do you feel about the prospects of there being a sixty game season? Oh man, I am heartbroken right now. Um, first of all, I am a I'm a huge baseball fan. That was my first love. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan, so anybody that's a Yankees fan out there, I know they hate my guts, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Um, and I don't know – I really don't know what this season is going to look like. I know they – I was watching um, ESPN the other day, and they had this whole big special about opening day, and I still don't even know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, right now um i don't know how that's going to be played i don't know if they'll actually open or not man so we're just waiting yeah. and um i guess we're just going to see how everything unfolds this season yeah. um but i'm i'm just ready for some some good good clean and some dirty baseball <laughs> uh, <laughs> this season um this is and it's special this is a special season for me um personally again i'm a huge baseball fan my grandfather who i was just talking about um who had a huge influence on me environmentally he was also a baseball player he played baseball he was really well known amongst his friends and his contemporaries um for being a baseball player okay and he was a big fan of the negro leagues he knew a whole lot about it um and again like we were talking about offline i'm wearing one of my favorite uh negro leagues vintage hats 1944 memphis red socks that's so um so yeah man and this is it was it was made exactly how it was back then so with the whole uh wool and the the um what do you call it the felt the felt mm -hmm. letters and everything yeah. it's just it feels all things so i feel like i could play for them right yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> so i'm yeah. a huge baseball fan though man most of most of uh most of us up here are and most of my friends that like baseball like the blue jays i mean okay we're in canada it's the with only the team jays? we got so it's like basketball <laughs> most canadians tend to be tend to be raptors fans because yeah we gotta like the teams we got um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that yeah it's it's kind of a when you think about baseball i think like part of the the love of baseball is like going to the park and like mm -hmm. being at the game. So it's going to be kind of a bummer that we can't like even people like, I'm not a massive baseball fan, but I love going to blue Jays games in the summer. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so they got like cheap tickets on Tuesday. You sit in like yep. 500 level, like way up, like the sky is <laughs> a huge stadium. Yep. So you sit like way up in the flipping middle of nowhere and you just, you just hang out. Like you just, you just yeah. hang out with your friends, you chat, you kind of watch the game. Like, <laughs> it's just a good time so it's like kind of a bummer that we're not gonna have that but uh, i know man like that's that sucks like everything is being canceled like even my college homecoming um is they announced yesterday that it was going to be canceled so it's like man everything is being taken away yeah by this yeah, whole pandemic that's tough um and then you said you're a football guy as well i uh, am you mostly college football you national football league uh mostly college i do watch nfl football i don't really i'm gonna be honest i don't really have a team i guess because i'm from the south 
everybody they expect you to be either like a Saints fan or Atlanta Falcons because I was I grew up in Georgia. Right. But I'm if I would say I was a fan of any team, probably be Carolina Panthers. Um, and then I live in North Carolina now, so right. um, yeah, I kinda. But I'm I'm a huge college football fan. Um, Georgia, I'm a Georgia fan all okay, the way. Yeah. So go dogs. Yeah. Um, and they are they're actually well they have arrived on campus mostly they start they've started workouts mm-hmm. already at Georgia. Um, so and we're known as running back you. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. But again, with this whole virus pandemic you know, thing. I don't even know how that's going to play out this year. And that's huge for me because I watch every, if I have to listen to it on the radio, yeah, I have to be there at every Georgia game. So that's going to be hard. I'm a, I'm a huge Georgia fan, man. Yeah. If there's like one hope, it's that like, there's, there's so much money involved in college yes. football that like they're going to do literally anything to make sure that it <laughs> it happens so like i mean there's a whole bunch of negative things that go along with that like the yeah. politics of it all but yeah there's like this one positive that they're going to desperately try and make sure it's back so you know yeah. take the good i think the that they suppose. will try their best if they have to play in bubbles i think that they're going to try to make this thing happen but yeah. i mean we'll, i mean we'll see i'm i'm gonna try to remain optimistic about it and not so negative, yeah. but it's just, I, I, man, I am, a, if they don't play, man, I will be down. So I have to try to be, be positive and optimistic about it. Cause I'm a huge dogs fan, man. Yeah. Well, I'm a ducks, Oregon ducks fan. My dad went to university. Okay. Of Oregon, uh, so a pac 12 guy. So I kind of look, at okay. Yeah. Speed like, university. Uh, yeah. Um, and then you played rugby which is super cool. I love like rugby. I got really into it. I lived in Northern Ireland for a couple of years over in the UK and got really into it. The coffee shop that I worked at was owned by a couple of professionals there. So um, what, uh, what position did you play? How long did you play for? I played for two, about two and a half years at the university of South Carolina. I played, I played hooker or, or the hook. Sometimes people caught whatever, but um, I was the guy in the middle of all the props or whatever. So, um and when the ball you know got it got up under the scrum I had to hook it back and try to get it to to everybody on on my side and keep mm-hmm. it on our side but um I enjoyed playing rugby males it's a huge fraternity um I actually had the opportunity to play in Australia for a summer and that right before I left that summer we were playing and I knew I shouldn't have did it I knew I shouldn't have but I played I, – what I played was on – I was A-side, B-side. And I advanced I advanced so much during playing – my first year of playing, which was basically the C-side or what they call the Palmetto side. Right. Down in, uh, in the SEC. Um, so they, the next season, I was moved to the B-side and the A-side. And my, one of my coaches asked me to play with the C-side guys um for a game and I think we were playing either I think it was either College of Charleston or the Citadel I think it was the Citadel Hmm. and I dislocated my knee so I never got a chance to go to Australia and play that summer over there and I was so hyped I was one of two guys from the east coast to get picked to go over that summer 
Um, the other guy was from uh, University of Maryland, and everybody else in the U.S. that got picked were from the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. to go over there. Yeah, so it was much. only two guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, big time rugby fan. Um, I'm an all black, all blacks fan, by the way. Tough not um, to be. <laughs> it's it's super tough. Um, but it wasn't a it wasn't. You know what? For me, it wasn't a hard decision. Um, I had so many guys on my on my team that I played with. They were Springbok fans. Yeah. Um, then you had some other guys that were fans of uh, the French team. Um, of course, England. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you had some some Ireland fans. We had a, yeah. we had a couple of coaches from Ireland. So okay. it was it, it was a pretty good mix of guys that had you know, their favorite teams, but the majority of us probably were New Zealand All Blacks fans. Right. Yeah, I would be an yeah. Ireland fan just by association. So my wife is from Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, but uh, okay. in there, in the Irish team is like, they, they use players from both Northern Ireland and, and like the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. Um, so I got to meet some of the guys who played for the island side. Um, just oh, man. Some of the guys that own the coffee shop. So it was always really cool. Um, That's dope, man. Yeah, I really like rugby, and I really like the All Blacks. Like, um, I do. I did. I was doing some research on them, just about like what makes them so effective, and it's like yeah. just the, their like leadership and their culture, and just the fact that yep. they're one of the most successful sporting franchises in history ever. <laughs> yeah, it's ever. it's pretty cool to watch. And then, like, honestly, there's nothing cooler than seeing the Haka. The Haka. Like, yeah, that's just one of the coolest things in sports. Yeah, I don't think there's much cooler than that. It's so intimidating, like. I, I remember playing rugby in the SEC, and we – nobody – I don't think anybody did the haka like that. I think everybody had their own thing. Mm. But I've seen it before, and I've seen it up close and personal. Um, and there's nothing more intimidating um, or exhilarating than just being being there. Mm-hmm. And even on video, man, you watch it and you can't help but to get like chills all over yeah. when they're performing that. And it's just, and you realize that it's a real thing. Like it's not just for show for no. them or for that country. It's, this is for real. Yeah. Um, it's really spiritual. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's tough to play against a team that's as powerful as those guys, man. Yeah. In any way. When they first started doing it, they used to say that, like, the game was won after the hockey. Yeah. Because, like, the other yeah. team was just like, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> I can believe it, man, because it's, yeah. it's just such a – I want to I wanna say, and if I'm – you could correct me if I'm wrong, they must – that must have been something they did in the old days, like, before, like, but battle, like, before war yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I was hearing. So, I mean, man – even to to know that before you go to battle with some of these guys from over there back in those days, I, I know their opposed their opposition had to been a little bit frightened to hear that somewhere yeah. in the distance. So I would have I would have ran. Yeah. If I well, from from what I know, there's there's several different kinds. Most of them are mm-hmm. the traditional Maori war dance um, mm-hmm. that they would do before battle, like just like you said. But there's a book. Um, about the All Blacks called Legacy, which is by mm-hmm. James Kerr. 
mm-hmm. which describes like where they're like where the all blacks culture came from why they started doing the hawk all this stuff it's really interesting but um, wow i gotta get yeah, it's like steeped in their culture like they basically use new zealand culture to create the culture of the all blacks so um, oh wow yeah it's pretty cool yeah that's dope Okay, let's uh, let's dive into coffee because yes, let's do it. That's what we're that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, man. So, Stephen, can you tell me a little bit about your your journey, especially coffee? How did you get into it? Was there like I find sometimes people have like almost this like aha moment when they yeah. have like their first specialty coffee, but also some people have like a gradual transition. So, what was your kind of journey? Man, it was it was a gradual transition for me. I I've been around coffee my whole life. Coffee was like like a lot of other people in their in their families it's kind of like a rite of passage um when you're a kid um all of the grown people are drinking coffee all over the place yeah my mom and my dad that was their thing in the morning um even after my parents got divorced man it was still like the thing in the house or whatever um that that morning ritual that silence and now i really understand it as a as an adult and as a parent <laughs> um it's that thing that you, if you can't have anything else in the morning, um, you got to come in the kitchen and it's, it's brewing the water, it's, you know, boiling the water um, or heating the water, not boiling it, uh, but heating the water and grinding the coffee and just silence throughout the house. Um, that's just, you know, how it was. And I used to wake up and my parents would be in the kitchen. Of course, they weren't grinding any coffee. They were scooping it out of a big red can, um, <laughs> Maxwell House, or they were dumping it into a little scoop. Um, I, I think they drank, what was it? It was orange, Sanka. Um, so they did that. And I think I became, in my mind, I, came, I became an adult early because <laughs> my dad would be like, here, you know, let that boy drink some coffee. And, um, <laughs> My mom be like, don't give that to him. He'll be shooting and scooting and squirting all over the house all day. You don't have to handle that. And um, my dad be like, give, give, just give him a sip. Give him a sip anyway. So after my first sip of coffee as a kid with my mom and my dad early in the mornings, um, I would do that every single morning. And then I started competing with my brothers and sisters. So we would go to my dad's job after he got out of Marine Corps. He worked um, in planning and zoning with the city planning commission in Augusta. Um, and so it was maps everywhere, but, and he had to go out in the field a lot. So he drank a lot of coffee mm. to, you know, be alert. And we would compete in his office with making his coffee, like who had the, 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 the water to coffee ratio, right? The <laughs> cream and the sugar. He had uh turbinado sugar everywhere. And he had this hazelnut, Hazelnut creamer everywhere. We used to drink the creamer by itself. <laughs> and he used to be, he used to be pissed because we he would come in the office. He'd be like, "Man, I drink all my creamer, man." <laughs> and he was like, "I got to drink my coffee black." And um, so, and that was not a thing for him back then. He didn't like drinking just straight black coffee. And as he got older, though, um, my dad had kind of evolved and started drinking it black. Um, after college, just to make a long story short, after college, me and my wife um, had our first child, got married. I was working at a college and I got a part time job as a barista. And um, that year, and, and neither, I was away was at Starbucks. 
And um, this was 20, I can't remember, 2013, 2014, something like that. Gotcha. Um, my first cup of coffee from Starbucks actually was a Kenya. I had never drank coffee from there before. Mm. Um, it was because it was like a, it was a, for me, coming from the African-American community, it was like a status thing. And it was like, you don't go there. Um, you go to one of the local stops if mm. you want to drink coffee, not Starbucks. Right. And um, which is, which is a weird twist of things because things got, got different in all coffee. Um, but they had a Kenya that year and it was just different from every coffee in there. You had hmm. the Verona, you had the Veranda, uh, which is the blonde um, or light, what they think is a light roast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had uh, Komodo and some other coffees, Yukon or something like that. It was some real big beefy bag of coffee. It was just ignorant. And um, but the Kenya was different that year, and it has not been like that ever since. Um, and that's when I and I was getting trained at actually, and we were just cupping in the cafe. Cafe wasn't even open yet. It was like four fifteen in the morning, four twenty-five in the morning. Whoa! And we were just cupping. Yeah, man. Um, I was on the first shift, so I was early. Got there early, like four ten, four oh five in the morning. And uh, we were just cupping, and um, it made me appreciate coffee, and it made me even more, and it made me like understand that coffee could be different. It could be so much more different than just grabbing it and chugging it down, mm -hmm. and and you know going about your day. It would yeah. it could be something that you could truly enjoy outside of home as well. Coffee, the shop could be a third place, mm. and um, yeah, man, that was that was my my. My transition into coffee and then I worked for a, another specialties, well, kind of specialty, like a second wave type shop. Okay. Um, but I did their farmer's market booth um, on the weekends. They paid me $50 a day, so I didn't make any money. Um, and uh, just selling selling their coffee and air pots and selling their sandwiches. They had really good sandwiches to go with their coffee. And um, I, had, I had a lot of fun doing that. And then we moved to New Jersey. And that's when I think I really, really transitioned into specialty. Moved to South Jersey, which is like a short, maybe 10, 15 minute train ride from Philadelphia. So okay. you have, yeah. So you have Philadelphia there and you got Elixir Coffee. You have Rival Brothers. You have Menagerie, mm -hmm. Ox, Old City. I mean, you got so many shops just in Center City alone. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to Elixir and um, they, that particular day or that particular time they had um, Ethiopia Arty natural and they were just doing, they were just rocking the Chemex. They didn't, I didn't see an espresso machine or anything in there. They were just doing straight pour overs. Mm. And um, that was the first time I sat down and had something way different than what I've had ever in my life. Right. And that experience, it just, the way I was treated from the time I walked in until the time that I left um, really had a huge impression on me. And I just, I, I was like, this has got to be where I, I, I got I to gotta do this. And 
that's where it just went up from there. That's sick. Um, and so did you, from there, did you continue working like as a barista or were you doing other stuff by that point? I did not, man. Like my background, of course, is higher education. That's why I'd worked in higher education before um, and, and in between all of this. And uh, I was actually interviewing for a job. We moved there for, so my, my wife could go to Rutgers University. Okay. Um, and that's where she graduated from eventually. And um, I was trying to get a job as a barista um, while she was in school. And, you know, we're raising children. She's in school. And I needed to, I needed to work. But I could not find a job in coffee. And it was, that's, that's where the roadblock you know, came. I just, I guess people would look at my resume and they would figure this guy's not going to stay mm. in coffee or he, he just doesn't look like the, the average barista or roaster or anybody that works in coffee. Um, cause I, I, I wear my shirts with my collars buttoned all the way up. I, I keep my pants up. I don't skate. You know what I mean? I don't, my fingernails are not black and that's not just every barista, but I just did not I didn't, I just, I look like a square, I guess. So, I mean, I just didn't look like, you know, the, the, the cool barista people. Mm. So I never got hired and I got fed up with it. And I started my own thing. Um, and I started, I think our, we, our first um, coffee that we ever served was at a church and it was creamery from uh, Ruby coffee roasters in Nelsonville, Wisconsin. Um, we had, we bought a, uh, a five pound bag of that coffee and we started doing pour overs on Melita, um, plastic, <laughs> Melita plastic pour overs. And we, <laughs> we had the worst brew ratio on earth. It was crazy. <laughs> and I, I just, we really did not know what we, <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing completely, man. But. I mean, we worked the kinks out after a few events. These churches and these people, they kept on inviting us back to pour coffee for them. And we just got better and better and better. And before you know it, we were doing gigs all over South Jersey, um, mostly churches. Mm. Um, and we did one uh, in particular that I was really happy about in Philadelphia at Habitat for Humanity. Um, it was their Christmas party. And I had such a good time um, serving coffee there for those people. And it just kept getting better. We eventually started roasting for ourselves. Um, there were some, some things that happened with, not with Ruby, but there was another uh, company that we kind of like did like a private labeling thing with or contract. They would, you know, we just bought their coffee and labeled it. And we just got tired of doing that. Mm. Um, they would send us coffee and um, it would be the wrong thing. And I guess I don't know. And I don't, because I, I, I really don't want to say that that's what they were doing, but it just seemed like it. You know, it was, we would order something like Mexico Chiapas and they would send us Sumatra. And I'm like, I know what Sumatra tastes like. <laughs> I know what, <laughs> yeah, this is not the same thing. And every time they did it, we would call them on it and they were like, oh, you know what? Oh my bad, man. And I'm just like, come on, bro. Y'all gotta, y'all gotta know that we, if we're doing this all the time and we're tasting these coffees all the time, you have to know that we know what we're what we're getting. 
Yeah. So we just severed ties and my wife took some money from one of her refund checks from, from school and she ended up buying a roaster and we got about nine or 10 pounds of green coffee with it. And we was like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> and we ended up roasting and burning some of, some of it. And man, it just went from there. We started getting better at it. And here we are, man, three years later, we're still roasting and still learning. You never know everything about specialty coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always something new. There's always a different process. You know, before it was just washed in naturals. Now you got pulp natural and oh carbonic gosh. maceration and oh, that's my all kinds of crazy stuff going on, man. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the coffee industry is still kind of trying to figure itself out, right? In terms yeah. of like what we know about coffee and the science behind it and all this kind of stuff. Yep. And then you got, you know, I was talking to Kenny Baker from uh, Ethnos Coffee the other yep. day and him and I were talking about how you almost have these two sides now where like you have some people who treat coffee just as a science. It's like, it has to be exact, you know, you follow following yep. graph and it's like, it's gotta be the same and repeatable. And then you have some people who are um, like Kenny would describe himself like more like this is an art form. Like I treat yeah. it like a creative outlet and an art. Um, it is and i think that's like they're both good i don't think like yes. one is better than another like i like yeah. that some people are really into the science and some people are just like no nah, i'm just gonna like watch it and like go with my gut and, and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff and i think that's the beauty of coffee is it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah that's that is the dopest thing about it. i agree with you on that man it doesn't have to it you can't put boundaries on coffee, it can be either or, it could be both. It could be so many things. Like I, I like both of them. I like mm-hmm. the sciency part. Like, you, you know, taking the tedious of 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 an espresso shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Checking that out. I like all the other sciency things um, that people do with coffee. Honest Coffee Labs is one of those places that's like super sciency and. Mm-hmm. There's so many other places that are like that. Um, there was one place in New York. Um, they closed down Alpha Alpha Dimension, something like that. But they had a steampunk. And that was really dope. And then you had the beacon that came out. Um, not too, I don't know if that which one was first. I don't know if the steampunk was first or beacon was first. But they kind of operate the same way. And um, that was really neat to see. And then, like you said, coffee can be treated as an art form and it's just free flowing and something to get your mind off of every crazy and other, you know, negative thing in the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's an outlet. It really is. And when I'm stressed, that's, I really get, I dive into it. I just, I brew coffee in all kinds of different ways. I play around with ratios and grind size and just, I just really dig into it and it just takes me to another place. Mm. And that's how, you know, I, I, I block out every other negative thing that's going on around me through Mm -hmm. coffee. Yeah. For me, it's like, it's a, it's that process in the morning of like getting up and, you know, using the hand grinder and and trying all the different brew methods and different cut. Like my, I open up my cupboard and right now there's that, think six bags of coffee Jeez. Um, from, 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 i just got two yesterday i got the guji man and the flight of fancy and i oh had four God. already and i was like oh man i, I might have an issue here um <laughs> so what uh what's it been like 
I guess like what's the, what's the journey been like as a as like starting to roast your own and as the you know the coffee enthusiast and trying to you know create this brand and you've got your your GoFundMe what what's that journey been like? Oh man, it's been great. It's been hard. I have to be honest um, because and it's and it seems like it was it was so long ago, but it wasn't. It was 2016, 2017 when we started, mm. and late to well mid to late 2017 when we started roasting for ourselves. And it was kind of difficult to get information from other guys. Of course, we had a way different machine, a little B-more, tw- uh, 1600 plus, <laughs> and everybody else, they roasted on like Mill Cities and San Franciscans and um, Topers or, you know, just another commercial type machine. So, and I know they roasted on like a popcorn popper or a B-more before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still like, you know, I, I had to get all of the information and the rudiments of roasting coffee on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have anybody that really helped me out. I had one guy um, and the relationship didn't really go too well. Um, and I, I won't say the name of the company because, not because I, I hate the guy or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. nothing negative um, towards him. I wish I wish him all the best. He's a he's actually a good food award winner. Um, he can roast his behind off. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good at roasting, but it just didn't work between us. Our our personalities clashed mm-hmm. um, at some point. But I wanted to learn how to roast from him because he was actually one of the best in South Jersey and and still is mm-hmm. one of the best in South Jersey. Um, but uh. Just it just didn't work out, man. Just didn't work out, and um, so I didn't get a lot of information from him either. But I started, you know, going to his his roasting sessions. He was roasting on, I think, a little Mill City his, himself, and um, he was doing it all by himself. So I admired that. Um, he didn't have a whole lot of people helping him out. I understand why now, but I still admired him. Um, doing all of this by himself, you know, lugging bags of coffee. That's a that's heavy. You know, 60, 69 kilos, 70 kilos of coffee up some steps, you know, two flights of stairs. And I was just like, golly, (laughs) but, uh, you know, God bless him. But now he's moved from what I hear, he's moved to a bigger facility, but he was kind of a gatekeeper. And so that was difficult. Mm. And everybody else was, were gatekeepers. And then the people that were willing to share knowledge were so far away. Right. Um, there's one company in particular, I know he would have given me all the knowledge that he could have ever divulged, but he was just in, he was in Washington. Oh. Um, I think he was in Spokane, Washington is, um, what was it? Uh, Tom Sawyer's Country Coffee. Um, really old guy, um, white guy, and but he's been roasting coffee for over 30, 40 years. He has a lot of experience in mm. roasting coffee and I, he does roast mostly everything really dark, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a whole lot of, he has a wealth of knowledge of mm-hmm. coffee. He's roasted coffee from everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I value that. And um, I remember he was one of the first people to ever send me like, send me like 13 bags of coffee. 
um, to taste. They all taste the same, but it was just <laughs> it was just the thought of him doing that that meant so much to me. Um, so shout out to to uh, Tom Sawyer's Country Coffee in Spokane, Washington, man, for just at least um, trying to 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 broaden my palate um, of of how coffee should taste after it's you know roasted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's been part of the journey. Evan from Elixir, um, he would he sent me a couple of different coffees and like this is how this tastes. Um, and this is how that tastes, you know, when, you know, when you roast a natural and then a washed of the same coffee, mm-hmm. you know, can you, you know, tell the difference between that, you know, come down to the, to the cafe, man, I got a, can you get your Rory that I want you to taste? And I, and it was just stuff like that. Um, but I still just, I got the, I got to broaden my palate, but I still wasn't getting the roasting knowledge that I, that I need. I was like, well, how do you do this? Right. You know? How does airflow work? How does, mm-hmm. you know, drum speed, what does that do? How does that affect the coffee? You know, when should I push heat? When should I back up off the heat? Mm. I never really got any of that um, until I ran into a guy and I was already a year and a half in um, Evermore Coffee Roasters in Burlington, New Jersey. Mm. Um, Ryan and his, he has a wife. Um, I forgot his wife's name. She's so cool. Um but he started, he, I think he has a little mill city in the back of the cafe. Um, and he started, he started actually showing me certain things. And he was like, you can actually translate this to your little B-more. Right. Um, you just have to do certain things a little different um, because you don't have this machine, but you can compensate. And I was like, really? So he, Evermore, I, you know, I really, I really, um, hold him up in high esteem for for actually being one of the first people, you know, to actually start to show me how to roast on a bigger machine, but to try to translate that to a, a small little B more sixteen hundred man, and that was I think that's dope, man. Right, that's cool. And then the coffee enthusiast, where you're at now, um, mm-hmm. what's kind of the what's your goal with? your company like do you have a like a vision do you have yeah you know something you want to accomplish like what what do you see in the future um what my my dream is to run a brick and mortar shop that's my that's my my main goal run a brick and mortar shop um and i want that shop to be as environmentally friendly um as can be um i want to you know like do paper, you know, paper reduction. I don't want to use a whole lot of paper products. Mm. Um, since my, you know, my background is environmental science. My wife's background is public health. Um, so cleanliness, um, environmentally conscious, you know, reducing our green footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I want the shop to be all about, but I want it to be a third place for all people, Yeah, you know, because I've had some experiences, you know, in coffee that, made me not want to go to shops sometimes and made me feel like that they were third places, but just not a third place for me or people like me. Mm. So that was, but I I don't want to return that to people. I want everybody. If we ever were blessed to get a a brick and mortar location, I want everybody to know and feel when they come in that it's for them. This is for you. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. that's my dream. 
that's that's awesome and and we kind of briefly sort of mentioned this offline but uh yeah can you just like i guess for me in particular like i i i've i've kind of been asking these questions a bit more but especially as a white male who's worked in coffee like i just don't experience the same things that Mm -hmm. color do obviously and so can you can you tell us a little bit about like what your experience has been like as a black man in a predominantly white owned industry oh man it's again it's been really tough at times man it's lots of gatekeeping but also having to change kind of who you are to try to fit into or to make you know to make people more comfortable Mm. or whatever and and it but it makes you extremely uncomfortable so trying to find trying to find that space to where you're comfortable in your own skin um including the color um has been quite the ride man it's been going into shops and people automatically kind of you know scoffing at you when you walk through the door or people um, being very condescending when you walk up to the counter and get ready to order your drink or, you know, like, do you know, <laughs> you know what you want to drink? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, coffee. <laughs> just like, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, but I just want that Ethiopia right there, or I want that Kenya, or I want that Tanzania or that Guat mm -hmm. right there. Um, it's, it's been a lot of people being surprised when you walk into a shop. And you know what you're talking about. I've and I've had it, and I've I told uh, our guy from Coffee Black. Me and him had a conversation about this. Um, one of my one of the craziest experiences in specialty coffee actually was between me and another black man. I walked into the shop, and I won't name the shop, but it was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I walked into the shop, and they had a Guatemala um, on espresso, and I was I was hype about it. It was a guat. It was a honey process. I was like, oh, I want that. And I walked up to him and I started asking him about, you know, just different things, not trying to be, you know, pretentious. Um, because that's a, a that's another thing that I've gotten a lot of yeah. going into specialty coffee shops. It's so pretentious. And he was the same, he was, he was that. He embodied pretentiousness. Um and I started talking to him about that and he looked at me like he had just seen a ghost and he just outright said it. He was like, I wouldn't think that you would even know anything about that. And he was, he said it with a straight face. There was no laughter. And until I did, I giggled to try to, to, to like diffuse the oddness of that situation. And yeah. I was just like, wow, this guy actually, said that to me like it's been you know different with white people you know you know that they're being condescending that you know that they're uh being pretentious but they just they don't outright say like you don't know what you're talking about or i don't think you know what you're talking about he actually said it to me and i was just like wow my brother so i ordered a long black <laughs> uh, aussie drink and yeah. um it was so funny he didn't know how to make it <laughs> um, so it was a girl. It was funny. It just so happened, and this is no lie. It just so happened to be a young lady in that shop to have just got back from Australia, and she knew how to make that drink. She was like, "Wow, I have not made one of these in months." Mm -hmm. And so she was really hyped to make my long black. 
So yeah, man. But it's it's been it's been quite the journey, man. You know, again, lots of gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody want to you know show you how to do this or, you know, when it comes to distribution, all the levels of coffee, you know, you don't get. Nobody tells you that stuff. Mm-hmm. Nobody tells you about the guy who, you know, drops out of college and then he has access to billions of dollars to spend on coffee mm-hmm. with a high school education. And then he makes a six figure salary as well with no college degree whatsoever, but he's white. Um, and he has access and privilege. And then there's me with the college degree, trying to get another one, $200,000 in debt, married with children. Mm-hmm. And I can't even get a job as a barista. So I have to make my own thing and do my own thing. Um, because I'm, I don't look like everybody else. Yeah. So it's been tough, man, but it's been fun. And it's for me personally, I can't speak for anybody else. For me, even with the racism and the marginalization and the gatekeeping and all the other stuff that you have to deal with um, as a black man in this country, just even just leaving out of your house and, and going to work, it's, it's kind of scary sometimes. Um, it's not worth walking away from specialty coffee. Like this is, this is it. You know, yeah, I, li- I love environmental science and I will continue to teach, you know, after I finish, you know, my master's degree, but I'm still going to do coffee. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is for me. This is my thing. Yeah. So I'm not and, going anywhere. And one of the cool things I think is like with the, the things that you've had to deal with, like, I think some people in specialty coffee take it for granted mm-hmm. uh, because maybe they haven't had to work. Like for me, I, I got into a shop, like the first, one of the first ones I applied to when I moved to Northern Ireland, like I got yeah. incredibly lucky. Um, and I, there was times where I took it for granted because I didn't have to necessarily work for it. And the more I hear stories, the more I'm like, well, you're just going to do significantly bigger things in coffee mm-hmm. because of what you've had to pretend like overcome, right? Because your dedication is significantly more than mm-hmm. these other people that haven't had to. So like, right. I'm pumped to see, like, I'm going to keep sharing your, your, your GoFundMe page for the coffee enthusiast. Uh, oh man. Pumped to get your coffee up at, um, at some point, but man, I hope you see, get like, that where, soon, man. Yeah. It's uh, getting stuff to Canada. It's flipping ridiculous right now, but man. Um, I'm pumped to see like where you go and what you can do. Cause uh, yeah, just your enthusiasm is contagious. Like you clearly have an incredible passion for the industry. So like you're going to do big things, my man. And I'm, I'm pumped to have been able to share a conversation with you and learn a little bit more. Um, Yeah, man. I guess last, last question in terms of um, the main part of our conversation here, but what would you, what would you like to see change in the coffee industry? Like what moving forward? Cause we're at a turning point right now. Yeah. And I think there's a really big opportunity for us as an industry to pivot. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So what, what do you want to see change? Man, I want to see, I want to see more genuine togetherness in the coffee industry. I don't want to see separation mm. in the coffee industry. I think that's what maybe where I'm, I'm just, I might be a little bit different from everybody. Um, I want to see genuine unity in the coffee industry. I want to see a lot more. I want to see a lot more people of color, namely African-Americans. I want to see a lot more of me. 
mm-hmm. in the coffee industry. And I want to see a lot more of me in the coffee industry being themselves, whoever they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like with, with Bartholomew Jones at Coffee Black, he is unapologetically himself. Yeah, he, he is Maurice awesome. Henderson III. And he's, he's, he is Coffee Black. He is A. Bart Jones. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that's who he is. Um, I want to see a lot more Michelle Johnsons and Erica Jacksons. I want to see, you know, Sorinthia's down from Honest Coffee Labs. I want to mm-hmm. see so many others. Um, oh man, it's his brother from DC. Um, God, I can't remember his name, but he's he's gone through a lot. He's gone through a cancer um, diagnosis to remission and still rocking it in specialty coffee. I want to see a lot more Ian's um from dead stock coffee oh, dead stock is dope you know what i'm saying like i yeah. want to see that you know what I'm saying? i want to see the difference in 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 opinions and passions you know his thing is tennis shoes mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying somebody else might be you know baseball mm-hmm. somebody else might be you know something else you know like our thing is environmentalism and and black culture or i i love old black culture i love the old you know 1920s the 1930s and 40s and 50s of black culture. I love that stuff mm. um, because that's where resilience was built uh, for our people here in this country. Right. You know, the MLKs, but it was so much more than just MLK. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many more women and men that led the way for us. A lot of those women, they're not talked about. You know what I'm saying? They get overshadowed a lot of times mm. by, by the guy's name. So I want to see a lot more of that in specialty coffee as well. You know, let let these let these phenomenal women, black and white, Asian and Latino, let them shine. Stop stealing the shine. Mm. Um, I want to see a lot more diversity in coffee, like true diversity. I don't want to see a 35 uh, member board of directors and one black woman. Yeah. I want to see a 35 member board of directors with, you know, 10 white people, 10 Mm. black people you know, 10, you know, uh, Latinos. I want to see, I want to see all of that, man. Mm-hmm. I want to see a lot more and I want to see good coffee. I want to taste good coffee. Yeah. That's what I want to, that's what I want to see for. That's what I see for the future of, of specialty coffee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I have hope that that's, that's where we're headed. Um, like what I see happening and, um, right now i think there's there's an opportunity for the specialty coffee industry to be what it can be and what it should be so um, yep. i'm hyped that we've got people like you in it because th- that's that's going to be people like you that are so dedicated that's that's going to be what um what helps push that forward so uh steven i appreciate you taking the time my man i know you're busy uh to come on the podcast um where can uh people reach you like what's it what's your instagram what's oh where yeah people donate um so we have a, a weird <laughs> TCE underscore a brewing company um, at Instagram. Um, we're actually on Facebook as well. I don't, I'm not on Facebook a whole lot, but I still check that page. Everything, everything that's posted on Instagram goes directly to the Facebook page, but it's the coffee enthusiast, the brewing company on Facebook. Um, they can also go to our website, um, www.tcecoffee.com. Um, and from there you can send us messages. You can even give us a phone call if you need to, um, DM us, DM us on Instagram. That's where we're the most active on Instagram. 
Um, but yeah, man, that's how they can get in touch with us. That's how they can, you know, go to our website and buy coffee and see what we got going on. Man. Awesome. Unreal. Well, again, thank you. Um, yeah, just pumped to have this conversation. It was, it was great. Thank and, you, man. I uh, really enjoyed having you on, man. Man, I enjoyed this, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, Stephen, for coming and agreeing to come on the podcast. Uh, that was an awesome conversation. I learned a ton from Stephen. And yeah, just we talked online right after the episode uh, just about connecting more and getting to know each other. And when the travel restrictions lift, him coming up to Canada, me going down there. So pumped that this podcast is leading to new friendships and new relationships. And I mean, in reality, that's what coffee and sports should do. Coffee and sports should connect people. And that's what it's doing for me. I'm getting to connect with some incredible human beings. Uh, I hope you're getting to connect with some incredible human beings just by listening and going to check these people out and supporting them. Um, I'm going to, in the Instagram post for this episode, there will be a uh, tag for his page. And of course, please go to his GoFundMe and give whatever you can so that uh, his company can get a new roaster and they can start spitting out their amazing coffee in bigger batches. Uh, Because yeah, the coffee industry needs more Steven. He's a great guy. And the more he can do, the more power he brings to the industry. And so yeah, thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Hope you feel like you're getting to connect with people and hope you keep listening. So until next time, we'll see you then.